I don't know about you, but my heart was definitely warmed at the fact that we had a church camp announcement. That means uh, summer must be here soon, right? And then yesterday, yesterday I watched the Blue Jays play baseball. Somewhere it's warm enough for baseball to be played. Not here, but somewhere it feels like spring. And, and that gets me excited. I'm looking forward to many different things. I'm looking forward to the Easter season, which we're going to work our way towards very intentionally and, and, and hopefully with some focus as we go through Lent. And then with Easter comes, comes spring and the warmth and then summer. And we're all looking forward to that. And, and I don't think I'm the only one. And it was good to add a new member as well today, and, and good to go over some of these proverbial sayings. I found a few real doozies. I hope you appreciate it. And, and, and of course, as, as much as we know, these proverbs, uh, these sayings that are wise, every culture throughout all of history has, has, has had this wisdom. But it's the book of Proverbs in, in Scripture that we really want to base our life upon. And the book is intently focused on our relationships. Proverbs really wants us to understand how our relationship with God should look and how it can work and how it can thrive and how our relationships with others that that, that flow from this relationship with God can work the same way. And primary family relationships are certainly part of this. You read through the book of Proverbs and you'll see many wise sayings about how children should relate to parents, how parents should relate to children, how husbands and wives ought to relate to one another, how grandparents can relate to grandchildren. And so we are going to talk about this idea of what it means to to have wise family relationships. And now I need to acknowledge at the outset, there are a number of you here that that are single and and have been single your whole life. And there are going to be some of these relationships, like with marriage and with children, that, that haven't been a part of your life so far. And I would say, you know what? There are so many good pieces of truth here that, that, uh, that can be applied to any different relationship. There will be something for everybody to learn as we dig into the Word of God together. And we're going to start with a relationship that all of us have, because we want to know what it means to be a wise child. If you're here, it means you've been born. It means you are a child. And what we know from Proverbs is that wise children honor their parents. Wise children honor their parents. And I thought about, well, it could be easy. We could just say, obey their parents or listen to their parents. But, but Proverbs is wanting to go a little bit further than that. And while obedience is certainly a piece of this puzzle, it's this idea of honoring your mother and your father that, that really goes even a step further. And one significant way, way in which you as a child can honor your parents is by being wise, living a wise life. All of the lessons that we've worked through and and learned about together, if we are putting these into practice, not only do they reflect well on how we can live our life, but it really reflects well on how we honor our parents. Proverbs 10.1 puts it this way, A wise son or daughter makes a glad father or mother, but a foolish son or daughter is a sorrow to his mother or father. So if you are are living a wise, God-honoring life, you've been taught and trained by your parents, then that's an incredibly fulfilling thing for your parents to see and to witness and to celebrate along with you. So to live a wise life is a a significant way to bring honor to your parents. And, And I'm beginning to understand this more and more, how fulfilling it is to watch your children grow up into God honoring young men. And for some of you, God honoring young women. I don't have that pleasure so far with three sons. But it is so wonderful to see them 
love Jesus more, love other people more, grow up, and just continue to live a wise life. And yet there is the other side to that coin, as, as many proverbs will put it, in the, that, what did we call it last week? Antithetic parallelism, right? If the good is true, well, then the opposite is also true. It can be incredibly painful as a parent to watch your children make unwise decisions, hurtful, harmful, foolish decisions. But here's what I think is important. As we've worked through Proverbs, we've, we've seen that the book wants to motivate us to live wise lives. And so one of the ways that it motivates us is by giving us all of these natural outpourings and outcomes and God's blessings of what it means to live a wise life. We'll do this and it will go well for you. Do this and, and it will bless this relationship. And then it also gives us so many pitfalls to avoid. If you, if you don't want to be foolish, then you can avoid this hurt or this harm. A lot of personal motivation. But when we think about our relationship with our parents, when we think like a child, no matter what age you are, then Proverbs is saying you can bless them by living a wise life. The motivation we get to walk this way is not just what we receive but what we can give and do for others. And none of that is going to be more powerful than what you as a child can do for your parents by being wise or what you can do to hurt and harm your parents by being foolish. So as children, do we truly realize, do we consider how much our decisions and our way of life affect our parents? So we honor our parents by being wise, just as they have hopefully taught us to be wise and how Proverbs has encouraged us to be wise. But yes, we also honor our parents by being obedient. And this could be just stated as a blanket, hard and fast rule. We see a bit of this in Colossians 3.20, where Paul says, Children, obey your parents in everything. Is Eli here? Eli, are you, are you listening? Okay, children, obey your parents in everything. You got that? You want to write it down? You're good? Okay. Excellent. But even there, when it's this really bald rule, Paul still wants to go a bit deeper. He says, why? For this pleases the Lord. When you obey a godly parent and a godly instruction, it is something that is pleasing to the Lord. And Emily shared with us this relationship between how she views and experiences her heavenly father, how that relates to what she knows from her earthly father. So what pleases your heavenly father? Just as our actions and attitudes and living a wise or foolish life can please our earthly parents, it can also please our heavenly Father. And as we obey one, we can obey the other. There are good personal reasons to listen and to obey godly parents. It's not just to keep the rules. It's not just because it's a command. Scripture wants to let us know that there is more behind this rule. And this is one, uh, one of my favorite Proverbs on the subject, Proverbs chapter 6 verse 20 to 22. And the book says this, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Obey your parents. That's another way of saying that. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. Obey, and it will do you well to live the rest of your life. But one of the reasons that I really love Proverbs 6, verses 20 to 22, is because it is directly tied into a deep teaching of the law. It's written in such a way to remind all of the readers of the Shema. 
in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we need to remind ourselves again to truly understand Proverbs is to know and understand the Old Testament and, and, and the law because the law and that covenant relationship between God and his people is the backdrop to the Proverbs. And if you don't believe me, then keep in mind what we just read together and listen to what Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 to 9 says and how closely these ideas are related. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, on your gates. This is the command. How were the people of God supposed to, to keep the words and the commands of God? They were to keep them wherever they went, to bind them, to write them, to take them with them, whether they were lying down or whether they were going out. The word of God stays with them always. And so Proverbs uses this command and uses this idea and then applies it to how children can also obey and keep the commands and teachings of their parents. Just as you internalize and for Lent, memorize the Word of God, you need to do the same thing with your godly parents' teaching and take them with you wherever you go. Bind them on your heart. Tie them around your neck. And when you walk and when you lie down and when you awake, you will always know the teaching of God and the teaching of godly parents. And yes, this obedience does lead to blessing. The commandments of your parents from God will lead you according to this proverb. They will watch over you. They will talk with you. All of these things are blessings that we as children get when we live wise and obedient, um, wise and obedient lives with what our parents have taught us. So now we talked a bit about our relationship as children to parents. And again, I think these principles are true no matter what age you are. But it, this is only going to work if parents are doing their part. So not only do wise children honor their parents, but wise parents train their children. If, if our children are going to take our training and bind them and walk with them, then we need to make sure that we are supplying godly training for them. One of these roles does not happen without the other. If children are to listen and obey, parents are to train and teach. And Proverbs 22, verse 6, puts it quite succinctly. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So parents, what do we need to do? Here's a rule for you. Train your children in the way that they should go. We need to do this. We need to teach and train in, in a few different ways. And we need to teach them by word. We need to let them have the knowledge that they need about who God is, about who Jesus is, about what he has done for them. We need to give them this head knowledge, this teaching by our word. And this can happen in so many different ways. It can happen with, with consistent family devotions, whether before breakfast or after supper. It can happen with some intentional conversations where you take your children out uh, for, for a breakfast or for a coffee and just talk with them about matters of life and faith. 
especially when your kids are younger. Maybe it comes to answering a lot of their questions. As there's this natural curiosity that they bring when they're learning more and more about God. It can be sending your kids to Sunday school here each and every Sunday morning. And so that is not just limited to you as a parent teaching, but now we can invite others in our spiritual family to invest in them and to teach them about who God is. Uh, last week, we reminded you about the fact we have a Right Now Media account. And you would have uh, hopefully received an invitation to that in your email inbox. And, and there are so many uh, shows and studies that are designed for kids to teach them more about who God is. And you can use that on your smartphone wherever you go to bring this teaching aspect along with you. Uh, you could decide to put your kids into Christian education and so that they are now just surrounded by opportunities to learn more and more about who God is. So just a few of the ways in which this can be possible for you as a parent to teach and to train your kids, to have this knowledge of who God is, to make sure that they are not ignorant. But teaching by word, giving head knowledge is only a small part of what Proverbs means. We need to also teach by example. None of these Sunday school answers <laughs> that our kids can come up with because we put them in Sunday school, because we did the devotions, none of those pat answers mean anything unless they see faith lived out at home. You've heard it said, actions speak louder than words. And perhaps in no other area is this more true than when it comes to parenting. I can sit my boys down and I can tell them any number of things, and they might believe it to be true. But if they see me live differently, none of that really has a chance to take seed in their hearts. We need to model it. Do your kids see you read your Bible? Do they know that you pray for them? Do they see you act in a Christ-like manner in all sorts of different situations, even and especially when you're disappointed and frustrated with them? Do your children witness you love others? Do they see you being generous with the things that God has given you to be a good steward of? When you talk to them about Jesus, does it match up with how you've lived your faith in Jesus? I had an opportunity uh, a number of years ago when I was a uh, young adult pastor. There was a, a young adult in the church that I was pastoring in, and uh, he was someone that had his, his um, family was a, was a significant, committed part of our church. Um, but he, as he grew up in his late teen and, and early young adult years, really wanted nothing to do with Jesus or with matters of faith. And so he was just, he was having too much fun. He was living life the way that he wanted to, and he was adventurous, and he was a bit of a partier. And I would have never thought that he would have real interest in faith, maybe ever again. It seemed like that would be an impossible thing to have happen. And then one evening, uh, out of the blue, he texts me, and he wants to go for a walk. And on the course of this walk, he's mentioning how, through a variety uh, of events, Jesus is grabbing a hold of his life. God is, is kind of taking him by the collar and saying, wake up, you need to listen. There's more to life than just what you've been living for. He shares this with me, and I'm starting to get excited. And then he says, you know, he, he grew up in the church. He had gone to all the Sunday school programs. He had all the answers. And then God is now really trying to relationally get through all of that which he had kept closed off for so long. And then he talked about his parents, and he said this. He said, when I, I, I think about all these things, and, and, and one of the reasons that I'm hesitant to trust in Jesus is that when I look at my parents' life, I don't see any difference in their life than any of my non-Christian friends and their parents. They go to church, and they say these things, but they don't live any. 
different. And my heart broke. My heart broke. And this young man never came back to Christ as far as I can tell. I'm not a perfect parent. It just puts me in good company because we are all trying to sort this out. But church, at the very least, at the very least, can we live in such a way that it is not an active obstacle in our children trusting Jesus? Can we live in such a way that can at the very least point them in a direction that says, I do this because I am committed to doing this. I do this because it is Christ through me that enables me to live this way. Can we live in such a way that no matter what decision your children make or have made, it's not because of the inconsistency that they've seen in our lives. That is a challenge worth accepting, in my opinion. And we teach in all of these ways. We teach with our words and with knowledge. We teach with our example. But even yet, we haven't gone to the exact depth that Proverbs wants us to go. Because Proverbs didn't say, teach your children. What did Proverbs say? It said, train your children or train a child. And that word for train means to dedicate or initiate. It's the same word, the same thing that Solomon did when he built the temple and he dedicated it to the Lord saying, this is your house. This is your throne. I dedicate this to you. So as godly parents, what Proverbs wants us to do in order to really plug our kids into into a relationship with God is to say, these are not my children. They are dedicated. They belong to the Lord. They are His. And my role as a parent isn't to make them more like me. It is to make them more like Him. And to recognize that at the end of the day, our children are gods. Which is why our active child dedication that we have here every once in a while, uh, with COVID, we got to do like three families at one time. It was wonderful. And, and we have, have um, kids come and parents are, go and they, they dedicate their children. Why do we do that? Why do we use that word? Because it's what it means. To train is to dedicate a child, to give them over to God, and then to take on this responsibility to steward them for the Lord as best we can. When we talk about this idea of stewardship, and I think if you're like me, we often think of stewarding our money and our time and our belongings, all of these things that, that, that the world says are ours, and we know that they're actually God's, and he's given them to us, and we want to be good stewards and use them for his kingdom and his purposes. And I can do that with those things. But then my children, I'm a little more protective of them. Those aren't God's, they're, they're mine. Are we willing to have the stewarding attitude to dedicate our children to the Lord, to give them over to God, to pray for them constantly, to model what it looks like to live a life of faith? Proverbs says all of these are ways in which we train our children in the ways of God. And the blessing is that when children are taught and dedicated and shown the way of the Lord, they have a great opportunity to stick to it, to not depart from it. And now we're back to our first part. So, children can honor their parents by obeying the teaching and the training that the parents give them. And then as they honor their parents, they have this decision. Your parents have given you what you need. Now take it. Run with it. Keep it with you. Allow it to impact and influence your your life. Live a wise life seeking after the Lord. It's an outcome that blesses both the child and the parent. But it is an outcome that is not a guarantee. 
None of these proverbs that we have gone through are a one-for-one guarantee. If I do it exactly this way, then God is, 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 is obligated to give me exactly the blessing in this proverb. Life is far too complex for that. That's not what the proverb is saying. And I know there are some of you who have faithfully lived your life teaching and training your children in the ways of the Lord. And as of yet, they have not walked in that way. That doesn't mean you've done something wrong. It doesn't mean you weren't good enough. It just means that this proverb is not a guarantee that when you live a godly life and teach and train your children, you are giving them the best opportunity possible to make their own decision of how they want to live their life and who they choose to follow. So do not kick yourself. Your parents, your your parents, your children are still gods. Pray for them constantly. So now we see this relationship between children and parents working both ways. But Proverbs also talks a little bit about grandparents, and we're going to touch on it here. I would say that the grandparents are crowned. Not my word, Proverbs' word in Proverbs 17, verse 6. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their father's. Now, I would never have the audacity to sit up here and call any of you aged. But according to Proverbs, if you have some grandchildren, you qualify. That's, that's not my opinion. That's just the Word of God. So grandchildren are the crown of the aged. And why is crown used? Why is this such? Because this idea of crown is the ultimate sense of honor. And there is something uniquely fulfilling in seeing multiple generations have a, have a legacy of spiritual faithfulness and wisdom. That, that parents have taught children who have chosen to live this way and teach their children who are choosing to live this way. That is a crowning achievement. That is what we are aiming for. A wise spiritual legacy that can be passed down from generation to generation. And I love seeing this blooming even in my own context. Last Sunday, um, we were able to go with my dad. Uh, we took our two older boys and the four of us went to a moose game. And it was great fun to watch the hockey game. But then obviously to, to, to go there, and especially at the end when everyone's leaving at the same time, big crowds. And so Eli's old enough now. He can fend for himself. He's tall enough. I can see where he is. But Malachi, I always want to have uh, holding my hand. And so I'm holding Malachi's hand, and we're walking out of the game. And he just says to me, I, I want to hold Grandpa's hand. I'm like, okay, fine. So he goes up to my dad who's walking just in front of us, and I hear him say, Grandpa, are your hands full? And before my dad has a chance to even really answer, he just grabs a hand and then keeps walking. And my heart was full. Right? And I understand. I understand the blessing of this proverb better, even in the hallway of MTS Center or whatever it's called right now. Grandchildren are the crown of the <clears throat> mature and soon to be retired. I would never call my dad aged. So there is this play between children parents and grandchildren. And yet there is one more vital and important family relationship we need to touch on, and that is the marriage relationship. And we're only going to skim the surface. Again, this is not a parenting course or or a marriage course. We only get the, the, the highlights here. But I would say that wise spouses trust and serve. As I was preparing this week, I told Karen some of my favorite proverbs were about wives. And so I, I read them to her. <laughs> Proverbs 19.13, which says, A foolish son is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. 
And then they said, hey, you know what's really cool? There's only one proverb that's, that's, that's stated twice the exact same way. It's Proverbs 21.9 and Proverbs 25.24. It is better to live in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Stated twice. One almost gets the sense that Solomon, who wrote and compiled many of these Proverbs, was running out of rooftop corners <laughs> of a palace with his many hundreds of wives. He, re- he repeated the proverb. And then Karen, of course, gives me the look and says, why are you sharing these with me? I said, well, 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 of course, I'd only share them with you if, I, if it wasn't true about you. I mean, if I thought they were true, I'd just keep them to myself, you know. Hmm, okay. So that didn't go over very well. And it's not really the Proverbs that we're going to focus on today either. Because the book isn't interested at talking about marrying someone who quarrels all the time. It's really focused on what it means to have a healthy marriage relationship. And so there is this truism that if you marry a quarrelsome person, and if you don't have a healthy relationship with them, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be annoying. It's going to be hard. And, And of course, this is not just about wives. This works both ways. In fact, we only see wives talked about in Proverbs because if we remember back to the very first sermon we did, we mentioned that this is a book written and compiled for young men being trained in positions of leadership. And perhaps it's no more evident that this is the audience than in the way it talks about wives only. It's assumed that the main audience reading this book is men. And that's why it talks about wives. But it's going to be true. The lessons are true for us both ways. If you were a quarrelsome husband, then you will also be like the continual dripping of rain. It is not good to marry a quarrelsome person. But if you marry a wise and godly person, it can be your treasure. As Proverbs says at the very end, Proverbs 31, verse 10, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. This is the other side of the coin. Yeah, it's hard to be stuck with a quarrelsome person. It is a true blessing. It is a treasure, more precious than jewels, to find someone who trusts and who supports. And a healthy marriage relationship is built on mutual trust. That is imperative. She trusts this wife who is who's invaluable, priceless beyond all measure. She is someone who, who, who has earned the trust of her husband. And a godly husband is therefore someone who has earned the trust of his wife. And so trust is, in, is important. It is necessary in a healthy marriage relationship. And keeping secrets from one another it dissolves this trust and therefore also dissolves the blessing that Proverbs is talking about. Recently heard a story shared about a man who was a, a significant part of his church community. And just recently he got found out for having an affair or a series of affairs that he kept secret for over 30 years. Just one text on his phone that now his wife saw. And the gig is up. 30 years of marriage. And he was unfaithful in different ways and different times all throughout that period. And so, of course, it's not just the unfaithfulness that, that rocks the family. It's If this was a lie, was everything else a lie? Keeping a secret can threaten all of the trust that you seek to build. A healthy marriage relationship is focused on trust. It's also focused on mutual service. Or as Proverbs says, this beautiful, priceless wife does her husband good 
and the husbands do their wives good, serving one another, thinking of them and their needs. Becoming self-centered escalates conflict and tension in any relationship, especially marriage, and it undermines the fulfillment of what that relationship is designed to give. We need to be turned towards the other, thinking about them. Of course, when you are newly married or maybe even just beginning to date, you have all this romantic love and just to be with this boyfriend or girlfriend to hold their hand, you feel like you could, you you think you could ride a cloud to heaven. That's how it makes you feel. And that's often the beginning of how our relationships are. I love how this person makes me feel. But what Scripture encourages us to do is to mature past that point. And at some point, we need to work our way from, I love how this person makes me feel, to I love how I can make this person feel. To move from this self-centered gratification of love to this selfless service and support of what we can do for the other. I'm going to brag on myself just a little bit. But this last uh, Valentine's Day week, I made my wife a romantic dinner. And I didn't even burn the dinner. It was wonderful. And, 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 and that whole day, I was excited about what, what I could do for, for Karen. But here's why I'm willing to brag to you. Because I hadn't made her dinner since the night that I asked her to marry me. Which was 17 years ago. So I knew she wouldn't be expecting it. Probably wasn't on her radar. But I was pumped. The whole day, I was like, she is going to love this. And I just, I appreciate how I think God has been at work in my life and in, in, in our marriage to where it is more motivating now to be interested in what we can do for the other person than the other way around. And we're not perfect at that. We're getting there. But I love seeing evidence of it. And I think there's something deeply spiritual about that. As Proverbs says, that, that this, is, this is the way relationships are designed to be. And again, if you're single and, you, and you don't, you're not married, uh, this, this is something that's still beautiful in any relationship. How you can continue to serve and support others and, and to seek after their wellness and fulfillment. But again, Proverbs speaks of this is in the, as a matter of what wives can do. But husbands, this is clearly a two-way street. It is clearly mutual. We're going to Go to Ephesians right before we wrap up here and, and prove this point to you. Ephesians 5.22. This is, a, this is a, a verse that some men like to, to talk about. It says here, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Good start. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, If Paul finished his thought at verse 24, that would mean something pretty significant. But that is only half the thought. What happens in verse 25? Husbands, oh, okay. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So yeah, Proverbs teaches from one perspective that a a godly wife would would have trust and, and, and support and service to her husband. And what does Paul make clear to us as husbands? Okay, we are to do the same thing. In fact, we are to go a step further. 
We are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. But here's an important question. What did Jesus do to show his love for you? What did Jesus do to show his love for me? He bled. And he was mocked and ridiculed, flogged. He was unjustly tried and sentenced for a sin and a crime he didn't commit. He was humbled and made lowly. He suffered. He breathed his last. And Jesus died. That's his love for you. That's the extent that he is willing to go for you. And husbands, I guarantee you that if we live this and even a fraction of this love, that we will be upholding our side of the bargain. That is an impossible act to follow. But it is the truth. It is the gospel that Jesus would lay down his life out of his love for you so that you could be pure, spotless, without blemish, and be in relationship with him for eternity. And if we can even try to return that love to him and to our wives and to our husbands and to our children, then we will be living a truly wise life. And so all matter of headship will fade to the back because in this Christ self-sacrificing love, there is no room for selfishness, no room for domineering authority, and no room for any type of abuse. That is a wise and healthy way to be a husband. So children, your task is to honor your parents. No matter how old you are, you can still live this way. Listen to what they say. Watch what they do and put yourself in a position to succeed. Parents, your task is to train your children no matter how old they are. It looks different when they're older, but it does not stop. Teach them the way of the Lord. Model it for them in your own life and dedicate them to God. Grandparents, your work is done. Reap the rewards of years spent training. Hold your kids' hands, your grandkids' hands. Spouses, your task is to trust and serve each other mutually. The key is to think of the other as more important than yourself and to lay down your life for them. So how do we put all of these things together? Your word to the wise today is this. A wise family lives out what it means to love each other like Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Heavenly Father that you are. I thank you that in all of these matters of family, that we have a pure and perfect example of fatherly love from you. For all of us who have earthly fathers that reflect that, we need to be grateful and realize how blessed we are. For all of us who haven't had earthly fathers like that, I thank you so much that, that your power and your love is greater than that disappointment. God, I pray that we as a people in our families, in our spiritual family, would be motivated by the love shown by Jesus to be self-sacrificing and giving and loving to others. And in that way, we can truly be wise. Thank you.